John chapter 4, we've come as far as verse 43, where it says, Now after two days he departed thence, and he went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them at what hour he had begun to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. This again is the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. So we have this record. Look, as we look at this this morning together, you don't want to confuse this with the record in Matthew 8 and Luke 7 and so forth, where it talks about the centurion that comes to Jesus and begs him to heal his servant. Um, and then sends word and says, I'm not worthy, you should come under my roof. Just speak the word and my servant shall be healed. Because I also am a man under authority, I understand. I say to one, go, and he goes, come, and he comes. All you need to do is speak the word, my servant will be healed. And it tells us there that Jesus marveled at his faith. Because the centurion understood, he said, I also. Luke uses that word, it's important, I'm a man under authority. He said, I watch you, Jesus, and I know you're under authority. And I understand, because I say to one, go, and he goes, another, come, and he comes, because I am submitted to Caesar's authority, so all the authority of Rome is behind me when I say something, and I see all the authority of heaven is behind you when you see something. And I understand that the throne you submit to determines the authority that you walk in. That's true for us as well. And it says there that Jesus marveled at his faith. Now, this is a different story. This here, as we look at it, is a son, not a servant. This is a nobleman, literally the king's man, not a centurion, the king's man, 
And Jesus doesn't marvel at this guy's faith. He kind of reproves him. And they have two different descriptions, a nobleman and a centurion. So it's a different record. But this one in particular is here for us. John says the things that he records, he records that you and I might believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing we might have life through his name. John does have, through the Holy Spirit, purpose in recording this incident for us this morning, undoubtedly. There are things here that he has to say to us. So it says, now after two days, now it told us in verse 40, he spent two days with the Samaritans. After those two days, he departed thence, and he went into Galilee. Now that began back in chapter 4, where it says, verse 1, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, knowing the Pharisees were on to him, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. He's interrupted there, divine interruption, the woman at the well. And then here it says he continues that journey, and he finally then comes into Galilee, For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. There are two kind of debates in this record. Neither one of them have anything to do with the main point. One of them is a prophet hath no honor except in his own country. Literally, it's his own fatherland. So some say, this is what Jesus is saying as he's coming into Galilee. There's going to be no honor there for me. He used it several times in the synoptics of Nazareth, where they tried to kill him and throw him off the cliff and so forth. Um, Is he saying here that he understands that he'll have no honor there? Or is he saying that now he's left Judea and he's come into Galilee for a prophet doesn't have any honor amongst his own country, his own fatherland. Either side of that argument centers around the Samaritans. The Samaritans received him without doing a miracle, without any signs and wonders. It says they believed his word. They believed the word of God And they said, now we know that this is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Not of the Jews, not of the Samaritans. This is the Savior of the world. Then Jesus is going to say, you know, prophet doesn't have honor except in his own fatherland. You know, compared to these Samaritans. So he could be speaking of Galilee, though it's going to tell us Galilee receives him as he comes there. If it's Galilee, this is consistent with the other uses about Nazareth, but it seems to be a common proverb in the day. Jesus himself, born in Bethlehem of the tribe of Judah, um, in chapter 7, when the Pharisees are arguing, they said, others said, "This this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So they didn't receive him because they thought he was a Nazarene in Jerusalem. By the time he left, he was there for a number of months. John doesn't give us all the details. 
there's hostility. And the grammar here seems to indicate it. It says he went into Galilee, verse 44, for Jesus himself. It says he went into Galilee because he said a prophet. It doesn't say in spite of the fact that a prophet has no honor in his own country. It says he went into Galilee because it was causative, because a prophet had no honor except his own country, which mean, would mean that's why he left Judea and came into Galilee. You're scratching your head. You don't care. I'm just I'm giving you my opinion on the argument. Either way, he comes into Galilee. It says, then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone up to the feast. So Jesus was there a number of months. He's at the feast. They saw the miracles that he did. It had become a buzz in Galilee. People were talking. So when he came back, they received him. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, which is where Nathaniel's home is. Possibly that's where they stayed when they came to Cana. It says where he made the water wine, his first miracle. And there was a certain nobleman <clears throat> whose son was sick at Capernaum. So we come here and he says there's a certain nobleman. Uh, the, the two Greek words, he was a king's, a kingsman. Noble in that sense. He's a kingsman, no doubt. He was in the service of Herod Antipas, who ruled over that jurisdiction, who wasn't actually a king, but the Romans allowed him to be called King Herod, and that's how the Jews saw him. So he's somewhere in the noble court of the king. He serves there, and he's a guy who's used to giving orders and getting things done. He's used to having things in motion, He's used to be able to afford whatever he wants to get. And now all of a sudden he's faced with a situation that's changed all of that because his son is at the point of death. No doubt he has brought in every doctor and every healing art available in the area. He has the money to no avail. And in that frustration he's watched his son get worse and worse and is now at the point of death. He had the ability to order people around to try to get things accomplished, and that did not happen. But his dilemma here at this point has erased all of the titles. It's interesting, a friend of mine um, had lost a son, and we talked on the phone. He's in ministry, and uh, he said, John, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do now. Am I supposed to be a pastor? Am I supposed to be evangelist? Am I supposed to be both? Am I supposed to be neither one? And I said, I wish you were a farmer. He said, why? I said, because your pain is not the pain of a pastor or an evangelist. Your pain is the pain of a father that's lost his son. And if you were a farmer, you could come home to the house after a long day's work and sit on the front porch and grieve properly before the Lord without all these other expectations. And this man, in his own mind, is losing his son because he's done everything within his power. And we have to remember, we read through the incident here on the page, but his pain is not the pain of a nobleman. His pain is the pain of a father. 
And it's the same kind of pain people in this church or listening have had when your child's at the point of death. Or your parent. Or your spouse. Your loved one. It, it goes to that point where there's no natural solution any longer. And it does the same thing. It drives us to Jesus. What do we do, Lord? This, we're out of you know, resources here. This, this is a dead end, Lord. What do I do now? And I wonder how many children, how many spouses, how many relatives have been brought back from the, the edge of death by the prayers of those who love them. Jesus is the same today. It still happens. So it says he hears that Jesus now is in the area. His son is sick at Capernaum. Capernaum is on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. A little further around on the, on the western side is Tiberias. Tiberias is where Herod Antipas would have ruled from. And uh, Tiberias, interesting, if you go to Israel today, and you should, uh, you will at some point, but uh, Tiberias is the only city on the Sea of Galilee that's living and thriving today. It's interesting, when Jesus was there, he said, Woe unto you, Bethsaida. Woe unto you, Chorazin. Woe unto you, Capernaum, because if the miracles done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they'd have repented long ago. And he cursed those cities. They're all ruins today. Archaeological ruins, you can visit them. The only city that's there functioning is Tiberias. It's the one that he didn't curse. It's very interesting. So this is a kingsman. He has a lot of clout. And he's there in Capernaum. And his son is sick. And it says, when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea, no doubt is the talk amongst the people, into Galilee, he went unto him and begged him that he would come, notice, come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So the information trickles to him. He hears that Jesus is there in the area. And he goes from there up to Cana. Understand this is 680 foot below sea level to 2,000 feet above sea level at a distance of about 20 miles, depending on the path. So you can imagine traveling 20 miles every step uphill from 2,700 feet up as you go. And I don't know about you, but there are some times when there's something in my life that is really tough that I'm really broken over, that I don't know what the Lord's doing. It really seems like an uphill journey to talk to him. Lord, if you love me, how could you let this thing happen in my life? Lord, if I'm your blood-bought son, why? And in my weakness and lack of faith and immaturity, there are times when I feel like it's such an uphill struggle to to go and to beseech him and nothing's changed, you've done everything you can, nothing's improved and Lord, what's the deal? What's the deal? So it says this nobleman then makes this long trek uphill the whole way 
to get to Cana, and he heard that Jesus was there. And he says to him, it says, look in verse 47, he besought him. That word there is in the imperfect tense. He continued to beseech him, but the word is to beg. I don't know the last time this nobleman begged. He gave orders. I don't know if he begged. But look, his resources are helpless at this point. You know, you can buy a fancy bed. I, I watch the TV now, and there's beds that the top goes up and it goes down, the legs go up. There's beds where the one side of the bed's warm, the other side of the bed is cold. My, my, my father-in-law and mother-in-law, before they went to be with the Lord, they bought one of these beds, and you could control the temperature on your side of the bed. And, and they were complaining, and this thing never works. And my, my mother-in-law said, you know, I, I turn up the temperature, I'm always freezing. And, and my father-in-law said, yeah, me too. I turned down the temperature, I'm always sweating over here. And here the wires had been crossed. And he was turning her up all the time, and she was turning him down all the time, or vice versa. You know, but beds are too complicated now. There's some beds you lay on, and they form to your body to keep your neck straight. But the thing is, you, you can buy a king-size bed, but you can't buy sleep. When your heart's at rest and life isn't eating you alive, you can sleep on the floor. You can sleep on the sofa, sitting up. You can buy a bed, you can't buy sleep. You can buy a house, but you can't buy a home. You can buy a house, you can fix it all up, you can do all kinds of things. You can never buy what should be happening inside. You can't buy a home. You can buy an assistant or someone to work by your side, but you can't buy a true friend. You can buy books, but you can't buy brains. And you certainly can't buy life and health. So he's out of resource. The king can't, well, he's going to, he starts out being a kingsman and he ends up being the king's man. You know, his, his plight here is finding the right king. That's where his problems find resolution. So he's begging now. He didn't, I don't know the last time he's begged, you know. He begged him that he would notice come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. And the guy knows you've got to be there for it to happen. You, my son can't get healed unless you come and lay hands on him. Peter's mother-in-law had probably been healed, but, you know, there had been enough he may have heard in Capernaum. And so the denomination he's in is the touch and heal ministry. You know, some of the guys are in the spit and heal ministry. You know, they're just, you can only do it this way. You need to come down. And my son, he says, he's at the point of death. Now Jesus answers. Then Jesus said unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now it sounds harsh, but it isn't actually. Jesus, it says here, Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye, and the ye there is the plural. So he's talking to the whole crowd that's standing around. Except you guys see signs and wonders, you won't believe. People say, Seeing is believing. Jesus here says seeing ain't believing. Believing is not seeing. He said, unless you see signs and wonders. Now, it's interesting. It's the only time in John's gospel the word wonder is used. 
he uses continually the word signs. And the structure and the grammar here with the chi, the and between them, the way the structure, it makes signs and wonders kind of the same thing here. Wondrous signs, you know. And he says, you, you don't believe unless you see these things. But John takes us through these signs. And a sign, you know what a stop sign is. You know what a one-way sign is. The point is this miraculous signs also say something. They don't just... It's not just Jesus being merciful to you and I, sinners, need healing, whatever. Each time he does something, that particular sign preaches a sermon. That's the point of that word for sign. And he says, you don't believe unless you hear from signs and wonders. You don't believe unless you, when this happens, you, you stagger. You still yourself. Your mind stops. You think. And he said, but there's a problem there with that for Jesus because he doesn't want them to believe in signs and wonders. He wants them to believe in the one who's doing the signs and wonders. Except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Then the nobleman says, and it's continued, he continued to say because he continued to beg. Nobleman continued to say unto him, now listen. Sir, this is a nobleman. He's a kingsman. No doubt he has a nice robe on. No doubt he has a signet ring. No doubt, you know, he's got everything that explains his position on the outside. And he's talking to a young Jewish carpenter with gnarled hands and without any of the fancy schmancy stuff. And he calls him, sir. You have to understand this as you look at how remarkable, and the crowd must be amazed. Kurios, Lord in some places, sir, he calls him. And he says it again, come down before my child. He changes the word, it's son, several times through here as the next verse. But here he changes it to child, patios, my, my little one. It's diminutive, my dear one. It's very heartfelt. Jesus is, is talking. The guy feels like I'm not getting anywhere. And he says, Sir, Lord, come down before my little one, my dear one, dies. Come, besought him. Come down over 2,700 feet. And Jesus said unto him, Go. Isn't that interesting? Verse 49, he says to Jesus, Come. Jesus says, him go vastly different directions sometimes Jesus said unto him go thy way thy son liveth he changes back to son Jesus here thy son liveth is in a present tense your son is now living and continues to live doesn't say your son's going to heal. You need to get down there. He's going to be in rehab for a month or two. But he's going to get over this. He'll look good. He'll lead a normal life. Jesus said right now, your son is living and he will continue to live. Go on down. He's there. And it says the man believed, notice this, the word. That's where Jesus is taking them and us today. John says these things are written so you... He said, look, if I, if I recorded all the miracles, all the things he did, the libraries of the world themselves couldn't hold the books. 
But the things I have written, John says, I've written so that you might believe that Jesus is, is the Son of God and that believing you could have life through his name. He's not just talking. He's talking to those he's writing to, you know, the, the Gentile church, as John writes. He's talking to us. The reason Jesus had this record put in his word by the Holy Spirit through the quill of John is so that he could say to us this morning, if you believe my word, I'm free to work in your life. Are we willing to believe his word without seeing? You know, look, Christians, you're struggling, you're backslidden, you're going through something. His word says, if you will confess your sins, he is faithful. Not only is he faithful, remarkably, he's just to forgive you because he paid the price. And then to cleanse you, to catheterize you, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's his word. Do you have to see it to believe it? Are you willing to claim it and make it your own? He spoke it. Heaven and earth will pass away. Not one jot of fool. His, his word is not going to pass away in any respect. You're here this morning and you don't know Christ. Listen, this man didn't know Christ. He's going to leave believing in his promise, but he's going to arrive home believing in his person. And if you don't know Christ today, he doesn't want you just to know about church. He doesn't want you just to know about religion. He wants you to know him. If you don't know him, you're lost. Jesus said, men don't come to the light because they love darkness more than light. But if any man comes to me, I'll in no wise cast him out. If you'll believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Over and over, he gives us these promises. And if you're here today and you've never done that, church ain't going to save you. Calvary Chapel's not going to save you. No pastor or priest is going to save you. None of them hung on the cross for you. There is one who took your place and it says the Father put the iniquity of us all upon him as he hung upon the cross. And he paid the price. And what he says to you, if you'll believe his word without seeing, that's faith. He says if you'll come, he'll forgive you. He's paid the price. You can be saved. Your eternity can change. And it can change today. Sometimes we feel as Christians that he's not there. Lord, what's going on? Well, he said to us that he's not going to leave us. He's with us always, even to the end of the age. He says, come to him if you're labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Do we believe that today? See, the remarkable thing about the Samaritans, they believed his word. They said, this is the savior of the world. Here, this man, this nobleman, probably a Jew, maybe a Gentile, we don't know, it says he believed the word of the Lord. Look, the nobleman says to him, Sir, come down before my son dies. And Jesus said unto them, go, to him, Go thy way. Thy son is living right now. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him. And he went his way. Look, there's something about this. This guy's used to being around a king. He's used to being around somebody with authority. The, the question here is, what did this young carpenter in common garb 
as he said to the man, go your way, your son liveth. What was the tone of his voice? What was the look in his eye? What was the majesty upon his face as he spoke? You know, I feel sometimes in my relationship with the Lord, you know, I'm still a rookie. You know, Charles Spurgeon said, the more of God's grace I receive, the more I, I thirst more than I ever have for the next measure of grace. The more I experience the Lord's presence when I'm alone with him, the more I go, duh, why don't I do this all the time? It, it makes you thirsty for more and more. And I think as we sit alone with him, sometimes it's, as it were, the tone of his voice and the look in his eye. It's his spirit moving in our hearts. We actually say, Abba, Dad, Father. And when, when that happens, we're willing to hear him say, go, your son liveth, or whatever it is. This man experienced something in the presence of Christ and believed his word. Believed his word. We should as well. Jesus said, when you see these things begin to happen, lift up your heads because your redemption draweth nigh. You better be doing that as you watch the news these days. Right? The man believed that what Jesus had spoken, the word that he had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his disciples met him. I mean his servants, I'm sorry. His servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Now, this is an interesting scene. He's coming down. Here comes his servants in the other direction. And what is he thinking? Does his heart start to pound? Does he think they're going to say, what do you want to hear first, the good news or the bad news? You know, the, are they coming to let me know my son has passed? You just, and, and it also tells us a little bit about the guy's character, I think, because these servants are making their way to him uphill so they can bring cheer to their master. He's not cruel to them. They don't hate him. They're taking the initiative. Let's, let's get, let's find him. Let's tell him. That his son is healed. As he's on the way, it says, going down, his servants met him and told him, saying exact same words as Jesus, thy son liveth. He's living. He's alive. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. The guy's got the wrong idea. He didn't start to amend. And they said to him, no, no. Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. He didn't amend. It was gone, the illness. You know, Peter's mother-in-law, she was taken by a great fever, we're, t we're told. No doubt older. A great fever. And Mark, in his gospel, no doubt hearing from Peter, says Jesus came and took her by the hand rebuked the fever, lifted her up, and she went and cooked for him. You know, you're older, you have a fever for days, five days, a high fever, and the fever breaks, you don't get up and cook. 
Oh, yeah, I got to do some wash, got to put something in the oven. Got, no, no, it, it's just miraculous. And they're saying here, no, no, he didn't begin to amend. The fever left him for good. He came to life. Now, the father's saying to them, at what hour, he says, did he begin to amend? They said yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So here's your second debate for those of you who are contentious and love these things. Uh, Yesterday at the seventh hour. So are we on Jewish time or Roman time? The Jewish time would have been yesterday, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, which would have been the guy has to travel about 20 miles uphill the whole way to get to Jesus from daybreak by afternoon. And immediately when he gets there, he gets an audience with Jesus. And then he does he start back down? Does, does he travel 40 miles in one day? And the the servants come to meet him. Or Roman time, and John's writing the Gentiles. Roman time would be easier to say yesterday because the Jews' day began at sundown. It's more complicated. If it was 7 in the evening when the miracle took place, obviously sometime around then it's getting dark. The guy, and he, he camps there somewhere. He crashes. His heart, though, must be full. And early the next morning, he heads down. The servants on the other end, if it's 7 o'clock in the evening at Capernaum, they know they don't want to head off into the dark. And they're still watching the boy, thinking, is this it, really? Is he going to bounce back? Is he going to, you know? So it seems like then the next morning, the guy gets up and he leaves. The servants the next morning begin, and they meet in the middle And he hears, either way, the time doesn't make a difference. What he hears is, it was at the exact time that Jesus said it the day before, that the fever left. And then it says in verse 53, So, the father knew that it was at the same hour, that's the important thing, in which Jesus said unto him, third time, Thy son liveth, and then look what it says, and himself... He believed and his whole house. Now he believes in the person and not just in the promise. Now he realizes this is who I stood face to face with. He didn't have to be there for the healing to take place. He could be 20 miles away and talk to the fever. It says he believed and his whole house believed. Look, with our kids, your sons, your daughters, again, I think how many you know, are in the kingdom because of the prayers of a grandma or a parent. You may have kids, prodigals maybe, that you can't get to Jesus. But you can go to Jesus on their behalf. This guy couldn't get a sick kid all the way up this 2,700 feet, 20 miles, but he could go there on behalf of his son. Moms and dads, grandparents, Do we need to be more committed to praying for those in our lives that desperately need Jesus so bad? We can't bring them to him, but we can go to him on their behalf. And he responds. He responds. A parent with a prodigal is just as heartbroken 
as a parent that says, my child's at the point of death. That's the exact same thing that a, a parent with a prodigal feels. Am I going to get the call in the middle of the night, drunk, in an accident, dead, emergency room? What if I'd have done this? What kind of a father have I been? What kind of a mother have I been? This man's in all of those emotions and all of those torturings. When Jesus tells him, your son liveth, go on your way, go on back home. He obeys without seeing, without evidence, because he believes the word of the Lord. How many times in our lives do we need to be obedient to the word of the Lord that we have because that will speak much louder to our children because they watch. The worst thing you can do for your kids is be a parent who's drinking and cussing and carrying on and cheating on the spouse, whatever, insanity, and then say, you know, yeah, I'm a believer, because that kid's thinking, you got to be kidding me. I'm a kid. I'm not stupid. You know, where, where's, there's a disparity here. But with a parent that's obedient to the word of the Lord, with kids, more is caught than taught. They see it. That's better medicine for them than anything you could buy. That's not for sale. The point is, as we go through these things, are we becoming the king's man? Are we still a kingsman? You know? This guy was finding and found the right king. He only thought he knew a king. He had no idea. And at the end of the story, he believes. And his whole house. John says, now this is the second miracle Jesus did when he came out of Galilee. He turned water to wine. This is now is a healing the second time uh, in the context of coming out of uh, Judea into Galilee. Um, Application, I would say some things. I would think, right, John's very specific about why he wrote the things that he wrote. And I think what difficult things. You look at a, a room with this many people, there are some very painful stories here today. There are some very, very heartbroken stories here today. There are some very, very desperate stories here today. And John says, through the Holy Spirit, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing you might have life through his name. Are we willing? And it's not easy. I've punked out plenty of times in a terrible situation, trusting or believing he had it under control. And when we go through a very hard circumstance, and we come out the other side, and we're saying, Lord, I can't believe I was griping the whole time. You Here you are. You had a plan. But the other thing we learn is he is sovereign. And he, in his wisdom is allowed, because he's our master, to put his hand on the most precious thing in our life if he sees fit. That's sobering. But it is in the context of his face and his eyes and the tone of his voice, the mercy, the grace, 
the love he has for us. I would encourage you as believers why this passage has been preserved and handed down 2,000 years so you and I can look at it this morning. What does Jesus have to say to each of us about believing his word? Are you willing to trust my word beyond your circumstance, beyond what you can see or feel or buy or provide on your own? Are you willing to believe my son, my daughter, what I have to say to you today. Other lesson I would say if you're here, I'll have the musicians come, we'll sing a last song. Look, if you've never come to Christ, you need to do that today. He said if you, if, that if we are willing to believe in him and confess with our mouths, believe he died for our sins, we can have life, we can have forgiveness. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. In fact, the tenses are no man ever came, no man is coming, no man ever will come to the Father but by me. There is a way. It tells us God the Father laid on him the iniquity of us all. Are we willing to believe that today? Because this is what the scripture says. You look at the world today, you look at what's going on. You look at the division between races, vaxxed, unvaxxed, you know, Democrats, Republicans, all of this divisive stuff that wants to get into our heart. And then you look at the war. You look at the, everything's going on. And somehow behind the scenes, there's darkness and it's laughing because human beings are plunging into eternity lost. Their sin's not forgiven. And his word to us is, if you'll come to me, I'll give you rest. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. You look around the world today. There's no hope anywhere. Who do you believe? Talking heads, you look at them and realize you can't believe any of them. Who do you believe? I'll tell you who to believe. Believe Jesus Christ. Is he here today? Yes, he's here. You can't see him. I understand. He said to Thomas, blessed are those who believe without seeing, in the end of John's gospel. There's a particular blessing for us here today, and he can heal from a distance today, as he did here. He's at the right hand of the Father, where he makes intercession for us, and all he needs to do is speak the word. If you've never come to Christ, do it today. Not to Calvary Chapel, no church hung on the cross for you, no pastor, no priest. Jesus Christ did. Let's stand Let's pray, and I'm going to encourage you as we, as we lift our hearts and our voices, if you've never come to Christ, to walk down here today. If a friend brought you, they're going to say, come on, come on, I'll go with you, let's go. Don't come to Calvary Chapel, come to Jesus Christ, he's the Savior. And if you're willing to believe his word today, he'll wash you and cleanse you and heal you. He will change your eternal destiny from hell to heaven. Take him at his word. He loves us. He came and he died for us. Lord, I know you've overheard. We put these things before you. Lord, um, those things we hope by your Holy Spirit, Lord, certainly not by any ability I have, but by your Spirit is touching and reaching the hearts of people today. Your word, Lord, is powerful. And Lord, you're the one who adds to the church daily such as should be saved. So we trust you, Lord, to gather into your arms, Lord. Maybe those here today, you have longed so long, you've longed to hold them.
to make them your own. For them to be saved, to receive your forgiveness. To turn from their sins and turn to you, Lord. Let it happen. Cause it to happen, Lord. We put it before you. We pray in your name. Amen.